Hey, Tony. Hey, Phil. I'm down here, mate. Oh, uh, Tony, what are you doing all the way under there? You know we've got another podcast to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm nearly finished. I've just been giving the dingometer a really good spring clean. Oh, that's great. About time. So you've been waggling the widgets, realigning the calipers and rewiring the flux capacitor? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, but it does have very clean springs. Welcome to The Dingometer, where we uncover the factors that produce awesome learning experiences. In this episode, our guest is Agnes Sponer, founder of Women in Customer Experience and Managing Director of Made for Customer Experience. Agnes works at the intersection of service, user and customer experience design to help businesses design and deliver market-leading experiences. And she's also passionate about helping people thrive and fulfil their potential. Both these things meant that we couldn't wait to talk with Agnes about her views on learning design. During the podcast, Agnes helps us examine the intersection of UX, CX, service and learning design to consider how each discipline can benefit from the others. And some of the key lightbulb moments that emerge from the conversation include how service design can help learning designers clarify the start point of an experience, how learning designers can help customer and user experience designers understand more about how people learn in order to predict behaviour more effectively, also why differentiating an experience based on the customer, user or learner's needs is so important, and how design can break down the unhelpful silos between customer, user and learning experience. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. So Agnes, welcome to The Dingometer. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So you're Managing Director at Made for, Made for CX. You're also a member of the Management Bureau and founder of Women in CX customer experience and we interacted on LinkedIn which is how we, we, we met each other and I was particularly interested by your background in not just in service design and customer experience but at the intersection of some of these disciplines so service design experience design and as, as you probably gathered from us at Ding we're interested in learning design and over the last few months through the investigations that we've done the conversations that we've had we've become really interested in this intersection of some of these disciplines, you know, customer uh, learning, uh, employee, and, and how you design effective experiences. So that's really what we'd like to get to during the podcast today. But before we do that, let's just start with uh, a little bit of interest in uh, and you. So can you tell us what first got you interested in service design, user experience design, customer experience design? How have you ended up working in this area? What is it about this, this intersection that interests you? So um, my background actually is digital product management, which is um, um, which is quite um, interesting in a context of customer experience because often customer experience is understood as um, designing customer journey, um, more also marketing and sales focus, um, bringing um, kind of memorable and amazing experiences for customer, but then. Um, how I understand and also how we we do that at Made For is that customer experience is really managing every touch point that the brand uh, has with the customer or customer has with the brand. And that includes, of course, all these digital touch points, especially in modern world. There is, uh, um, I think there is really, really, I don't, I don't know, even I would have to find a brand or organization or anything that wouldn't have a digital touch point. Uh, in some sort. So therefore, like a product or product management or or, or running product um, is essential for customer experience because it's like, it's just, is part of that journey. I started my career in uh, journalism and PR and um, my first digital work 
that I started to do was as UX writer. Uh, and back then it wasn't called UX writing. It was just called, I don't know, transliteration or, you know, writing for web, anything like that. Um, and, and that was really exciting because that was like really understanding, okay, how do you actually call home button? Because back then the home actually was written. Now we know that either you see the home icon or you click on a logo and you go back towards home on a website. But back then it actually was written home. And um, I'm Latvian originally, so I had to make it in Latvian language and Latvian language was not matured at all in, um, uh, in kind of web, web interfaces yet. So the literal translation wouldn't work. So how do you actually make sure that user understands what is meant and how to navigate the site in, a, in, that, in, in this case, Latvian language? The intersection between what you're talking about, particularly with customer experience and touch points and learning design and things like the importance of language. And you, know, you were saying things like design or choosing what terminology to use and and how to ensure that learners or customers know what to do. Can I just ask to follow on from that? What guides your decisions around that? So when you're trying to decide what to call the home button, like what's going through your mind when you're thinking what's an appropriate word or term for this particular thing? How, how what what guides that process for you? So for for the UX writing, it's um, it's actually quite set set process that you can go through, and I think for any kind of um, also service design, there's also kind of best practice process that you need to go through to make sure that you you get you hit the right spot. So basically, the whole point is generate an insight that is worth validating and you test it. So so it's all about that. So first thing is uh, you do your research, right? So you do your language research, you do your desk research, you do your um, field research you talk to maybe an expert and you talk to a couple of users and then you ideate you maybe start to think like how for example they moved from the language to the icons or that now for example everyone understands what the hamburger menu means so all these things so there is an ideation process that's in place that you think okay is this working so how apple intuitively introduces a certain um um, ways how do you use the phone, right? Or how do you delete the email by swiping or these kind of things that's always ideation process. And then you define the concept uh, and you test and you test with actual users. And that's the key. And then when you have tested, you have some result, you implement it, you run it with a bigger user space, et cetera, et cetera. And the loop continues. You research again, you ideate, you test, and, and that's how you get to the point. And I think if we think about learning design, it's exactly the same. So I, and this may be, well, this may be a not unpopular um, point of view. I think a lot of universities, for example, have lost the sense of who they are teaching to. So often the process or the content um, is manifestation of a great knowledge and, and research and tradition. However, the learner who needs to, or student who needs to receive the information is often not taken into account. And therefore they, 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 they fall out of the track. So you can have like this amazing idea that you want to launch, but if you, if you never test it with a real user, you will never um, you know, know 
like if it's relevant, if it fits their needs kind of um, landscape or context, you know, like and that you need to get to know and you need to iterate all the time to make sure that you, because people change, your audience changes. I'm just minded to talk a little bit about um, something I was reading recently about preview audiences for, for films. Um, I have a love of films and I have a love of films that are often at their time were very unpopular because they made no sense to the existing audience, if you know what I mean, because they were sort of, they came out of left field or they broke the rules or they did something. And there are loads of these stories, um, Hollywood stories about um, the, the loop where producers and filmmakers use test audiences to arrive at the best ending or to ensure that the film is gonna have all of the story beats and all of the emotional resonances. In other words, to give the audience what they want. And then there's also a counter history of films that have alternate endings that were kept but not screened because, and then ultimately it turns out that people wished that the iterative process hadn't happened and that that cultural artifact, that experience had been allowed to be um, disruptive or um, iconoclastic or difficult or unpopular. And I know that's a completely left field question because we're in the business of producing experiences that work for the majority of people. But when it comes to education, I think there is maybe a point there around the value in or, or your views, actually, on experiences that aren't iterated um, or are intentionally difficult for customers and users uh, as being a sort of a purposeful activity as opposed to incompetence. When you were talking about, especially from the film example, um, I'm not a fan of Steve Jobs, but sometimes he had the wise words. Um, so he said that um, basically that customers don't know what they want. And therefore, you know, I just go with my vision and I do my thing. And I think there is a, is a big, like a kind of also misconception of iterative design uh, that you just ask customer or you just ask student what they want. So if you would ask customer, they would say, oh, I want everything for free. Uh, and the best quality, right? So that's the reality, right? For the student, I want to know everything, but I don't want to learn, you know, like this kind of, because of course the process is part of part of the experience. And, 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 and the other part is the vision that you have to have. So for example, if we talk about university or educational organization, um, you have to have a purpose, right? So you want to drive certain purpose in any, um, if you, try to achieve the goal it will never be a simple and like a straightforward process however uh, you can improve the ways how that purpose is um, enabled among the the people that you are trying to do that for right so you can't ignore that however to have completely customer driven for example or learners driven curriculum and there's a lot of interesting concepts and ideas around that but there, in my view, there has to be purpose, there has to be a vision, there has to be a goal for it. And the level of difficulty, um, it's a tricky one, right? So I am also, per uh, personally, I enjoy the growth pain, right? So there's a lot of people who, who enjoy that, you know, they feel like, oh my God, I don't know, and I'm just diving in, so I don't know, and it's so difficult to understand, and you go through it, and, and you push yourself, and then when you get to the other side, it's just like the gratification is in, in the, uh, like incredible. 
However, there are a lot of people who don't have that enjoyment, right? So there's, again, for who you are designing it. So if if your audience, if you know that about your audience, if either those are the type of students or type of, or maybe um, point in their life when they're studying or point in their education when they're studying. So, and do you know that the growth pain or the kind of complexity or difficulty that you will provide to them, they will recognize that as an opportunity, then of course, go for it. But if you, um, it's the same, for example, with game design, right? the same story right if you will design it too too complex they will know I, I can't i can't finish my level so you know i'm i'm leaving but if they were like okay with the third time actually i feel like oh i'm getting closer i'm getting closer and getting closer then you will overcome it and then of course it will be much more valued experience than the one that if it would be completely easy or exactly what i would want to or exactly how i would think about it so yeah there is very there are complexities um, and layers in this. I'm starting to build a picture of some of these, the, the similarities between learning design and particularly customer experience design and user experience design, and also some of the differences. And I wanted to ask you about your, so your experience in working with organizations, because you've, you know, you've done a lot of work in customer experience and user experience design. And what we've noticed over the last, I suppose the last few months to a year is that a lot of organizations now seem to be hiring learning designers, as well as service designers, as well as user experience designers. So I kind of, I can see why learning design is relevant in educational contexts, as we've talked about, but what what do you think learning design adds to something like service design, user experience design, customer experience design? Why do you think organizations are now hiring learning designers as well, when you've got these other two or three disciplines that also focus on experience design? By example, we, um... As an organization, we provide learning, right? So we provide customer experience learning, and we have like a um, several way, uh, tools and several ways how you can consume information with us. So one part is, of course, online where you have to consume theory, watch videos, etc., and then you do kind of live session with your coach. Um, and the platform where the where the theory sits, you know, it's a probably a don't, that's not news, but you can choose from very a lot of like a big scope of platforms and they do different things. And I was just talking uh, like yesterday with one of the platform providers, we are considering maybe to change or upgrade, etc. And he's like, yes, so as a part of onboarding package that you, if you come to our platform, we give you seven weeks of training. And I was like, seven weeks? To learn the platform, it's like that felt like, or or seven sessions or something. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's quite remarkable. But that is just customer onboarding for them. And they say, okay, if you really want to maximize the effect from us, you need to kind of uh, with your team, you go through seven like seven sessions or so. I'm like, okay, like, but then you have to have a learning designer, right, to build those sessions to make sure that that actually uh, meets the. Uh, meets the goal for customer that they have feel fluent in working with the customer. Plus, they will relieve their own customer success team, so they don't have to be in constant support with the customer. It will make sure that um, customer reaches their goals, so they will buy again in the next year or whatever the the cycle is. So there is, I think, a lot of overlap with that as well. When people ask me sometimes they go, what is it that you do? Or what is it that you're interested in? 
and I say learning design and they look at me blankly, um, it feels like to me that there is a problem in the language around both the word learning and design, but particularly design, that sort of produces a difficulty for people to understand that you're in the business of trying to make things um, simple. So I'm just going to ask you, just I'm going to play the idiot in the room card and just say to you, if you were at a dinner party and someone said, hey, um, what service design? What benefit is it? Where can I find it? What does the world look like without it? What would be the way that you would get someone to figure out that it was of huge importance and it was in their life all the time? How would you how would you make that argument for them? So everything is designed, right? Um, if we take it, take, I know I have this glass, yeah? Like it's also designed, right? So eventually the size of it, the, the, the thickness of it, the, 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 I don't know, the thickness of the glass, um, also how much you can pour in it. It's all kind of thought through. Um, would that be called design probably in the glass context? If we talk about um, imagining metro system or underground system, you know, in order for you to design that, you have so many smaller bits and pieces that contain that, starting from even from staff uniform till the tool that you are using to buy your ticket online. And then for the gates to go, get into the station or out, uh, even up to the, to the trains itself and the rail, and, and there are so many things that come together. So service design usually is the sum of touch points like that, that kind of is understood somehow belonging together, but it's always part of the bigger context. Yeah. Would that, would that nail my party answer? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. What would happen after your answer is that I would suddenly have this out-of-body experience and I'd look around and realize that I was surrounded sort of a bit like the matrix, like the point when Neo sees the code and you suddenly realize that for every interaction, however small, there is this network of decisions made for you and around you. And I certainly think when, um, when it comes to the HE sector and people, it's almost like you can't tell anybody in HE anything about learning design because people mistake the learning for the bodies of knowledge that are being disseminated or distributed um, and the expertise that um, sits within those um, bodies of knowledge. But actually, I think the train station um, model is brilliant because if you think about universities um, and HE institutions online or, or you know, offline or whatever, as being these vast terminuses and this idea of touch points, I think that um, it is a wake-up call for, even if you're just a tutor delivering something, you suddenly realise that you have an entire journey in your hand. We talk about university. I don't know, like, I don't know a student, really, who has gone through their learning experience with university and say, you know, I loved the administration of the university. Or I loved how I've been treated. Or I really knew where is how my, I don't know, schedule looked like from day one. And that is something that when we think about learning experience, we leave somehow it out. So where does this journey actually start? In my view, the journey starts when you have, let's say, traditionally a high schooler Googling for the universities. And then from that moment and talking to their parents, where do I want to go for study? 
until the moment that they're alumni and going to speak in their alumni events or being anything like that. So, or maybe even becoming teacher or working for university. You know, that journey is, it can be very, very large and big, but somehow often forgotten that part where students also need to get the admin through and all that. That's super interesting, Agnes. And I think when we talked previously, you, you mentioned that you'd done some work around the, what you called the skills gap. And I wanted to sort of try and connect these two conversations because we've talked a lot uh, so far about the, the similarities, the differences between learning experience design, user experience, customer experience, and how these things may intersect. And I'm also thinking and trying to visualize almost what comes first or if different things come first in different circumstances, you know, does service design lead learning design or when does learning design lead service design? But I know you've done a lot of work on uh, looking at the, the skills gap in relation to what's happened over the, the course of the pandemic and, and how that relates to experience design. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that to say, are, are there particular priorities that you see in terms of the intersection of these disciplines? How might we make these, these, these design disciplines work more effectively to tackle some of the bigger problems that we now face around uh, automation in organizations and you say sort of business courses are leading the way in some of this what what is your view on that how might we be perhaps more purposeful about saying it should be more like this or perhaps we need to be focusing more on this kind of experience how, how do we get there and what other priorities do you think first of all the skills gap i do believe that the people who are most vulnerable and currently becoming um, at risk of losing their job or um, not having the right skills. Um, there is that one group of people that are at risk. And then there are very highly demanded people um, where there's a lot of new jobs created because of technology, because of auto automation, because of the demand that currently there, there, there is. And what happens if you imagine like um, axes and where um, the horizontal one, let's say, would be a risk of vulnerability and the vertical one is the wealth, then the gap doesn't go only um, horizontally, it goes also vertically, right? So, so the highly demanded jobs and roles, they get more and more highly paid and the jobs that are more at risk and are more vulnerable, they also have lower pay and they are at more risk. So the gap actually becomes like a quite, quite big. And if we talk about how to close it, I believe, and I will not steal this uh, idea. This is what's actually, um, it's not an idea, but that's like kind of concept that I really believe in. And I saw it uh, uh, in a web summit last year uh, where Coursera um, CEO uh, was talking about how they tried to link together with other institutions certain paths right so so that the people have a sense of direction and i don't know if he would say that sense of direction that's maybe my addition but i really believe that that's probably a challenge currently so if a person who is most vulnerable they know like first step how to go about it but then they know exactly what they what their options are like they were mentioning the um so the ceo of coursera was mentioning the the program that they have together with google and a couple of uh, local colleges as well so they have 
um, a simple program where you can learn to basically provide a basic IT support for Google and you do it in five weeks or so, you earn a credit. Then you get a job at Google, you do your work, and um, so you have already advantage, right? So the job market is, or the organization is linked to the learning. Then while you are working, you are also available, uh, able to apply for a college and maybe enhance your degree. And the credit that you earned in the first five weeks, you actually can use in that college. So there is that kind of systematic link between the business, um, let's say also um, commercial learning organization and potentially, let's say, governmental institution and then a more established learning business, right? Or it's all learning business, right? <laughs> so, so you have that sense of direction. So you can stop as a learner or as a person in any way. You can st stay at Google and, and do your, your job, but you can learn further and enhance your career simultaneously and that's how you kind of start to move from that very vulnerable position um, and low paid position into kind of more um, like much more beneficial position as an individual and I think that is something that we all as a learning professionals either it's universities it's governments it's unemployment agencies it's organizations um, basically we all need to start to think and collaborate together like how we can provide these opportunities. Because first of all, there is a huge demand for professionals. So it's not like, oh, we have them plenty, you know, we can relax. That's not the case. So we need good, exciting people who want to learn and want to excel. And then there is a, this huge group of people as well who are a bit lost and they're like, okay, everything I knew, um, it's not relevant anymore. So how do I actually become relevant again or how do I move that to that path and we just need to kind of collectively help this group to move through that path but we can't individually do it no kind of educational institution or one business or or private learning organizations can do it it has to be somehow systematic universities over the last 20 years have become absolutely fixated on employability so they believe that they're doing everything possible to educate graduates for the workforce but it already feels like quite an outdated concept where you take somebody in, you try and give them all the knowledge of a discipline in three years, which is completely impossible. And then you say, right, you're employable, off you go. And it's like, well, that that model used to work, but it probably doesn't now. So I'd be interested to hear sort of your thoughts about, do you have an idea of how this might start to look more effective? How might we take some even very small steps towards a more systematic approach to aligning formal education or formal higher education with business learning with the skills gap how might we start to pull these things together a little bit what what might need to happen to to do that do you think so just to comment a little bit on things that you were saying like um on the measurement i think it's such a space of opportunity to understand what we could measure more effectively. So we at Made for Us will been thinking so much about like, okay, how do we know that we deliver to this to, to you know, we can we know that we deliver the experience. Experience you can measure, right? Indeed, like satisfaction. Okay, that's a that's a one simple metric, but you can, you know, you can put a lot of metrics around experience. But how do you know that you reach your objective? A learning objective, right? How does how do you know that the learner actually 
you know, can take what you taught and move it further. And we have been thinking a lot about confidence and measuring confidence levels in, in your learning. And, and I find it fascinating field. I will not go too much because that's not what the question was about, but I think the measurement in general has to be rethought. Um, also, just to have kind of, if we t take um, service design or UX design kind of practices or design thinking for lack of a better term, <laughs> um, it's all about the kind of learner's experience and learner's needs, right? So if as a university, you focus more on what actually a person needs to get a job and understanding what those elements are, you probably can design better the course or the three-year experience that you prepping them for. Um, if you look at any, like a big job board or even single companies job board, you probably will see roles that no university is prepping students for and other way around. But there are roles that are prepped for that there are no jobs, you know, out there. So, so I don't know if that link always is needed to make um, or if that is the ultimate goal, it can be, of course. But again, that's probably that attempt for sense of direction, right? So, you know, like, okay, you finish the school and you will have this future. That's, um, I think, one bit. But on, on the systematic or how to go about it, I think it can be super simple at the, at the first. Um, what, what we, at least how I'm thinking about it, that the steps that a person takes don't have to be something that I already know about. So I don't, I don't know what the step will be, but I can, for example, create a step or touch point or some of touch points, for example, in, in our co uh, case, provide a course. And then a person can choose, do they go deeper? Do they um, go um, um, on a side and, and choose another discipline to obtain? Or do they go for work a little bit and try the skills out? And then what the next step is, the next step, the next step. So we should not assume, like, even in that Coursera's example, right, that you do a little um, studying, then you work, and then you go working and studying again. So it can be, and that's most likely often happens, but it can be also a completely different path. And when we think about providing these different paths and opportunities, we can be very creative. So... Um, you can create collaborations or partnerships with organizations or institutions that you never thought that the match could uh, mean something for people. Um, and that is, I think, critical to just have these conversations like we having now. So we are from kind of different worlds, but we, we completely, you know, nodding our heads and, and saying yes and this and that, and we have ideas. So, okay, let's then do something about it. Let's, make that connection and let's see what happens with that connection. And if I look in uh, my direct ecosystem, I want to talk to unemployment agencies and see what their challenges are. How can we help or what we can do together? Um, I want to talk to recruitment agencies. So what happens to their talent searches? What is the biggest challenge? Um, if it's a quality of knowledge or something, again, let's talk about it, right? Um, so, if we talk with the businesses, what is their talent gap? What, what is the challenge? What do they want to achieve as a business? 
and what kind of environment and culture there is business want to provide to people because that again is changing. So there are so many complex elements, but it's just having those conversations, making the connection. And I think in one point, it starts to start to resonate in something a bit more uh, learners or human centric. (laughs) Agnes, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and really, really appreciate you sharing your views with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.